Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome, Footballogical Scholars, to another edition of the Star Seminar. And this is going to be a doozy. We're very, very excited to welcome you into the seminar room. Before you, before we do, uh, let me introduce myself. I am Dr. Rabble Rouser. And with me, as always, Professor Emeritus, Dr. Danny Phantom. How are you today, sir? I'm doing good. I, you know, I'm, I'm in a good mood. I'm, I'm having one of those days where everything is just falling into place. You know, coffee was ready this morning. I needed gas, and there was no line at the gas station. Um, I, I picked up my wife's medication at the pharmacy. No wait. Uh, I got home, and my wife made me half a sandwich while I'm prepping for this show. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's really nice to have a, a partner that helps you do life, but it's even better when they're so in sync with you. you know, and my wife, she's like a seasoned veteran. You know, she's fundamentally sound, knows the game plan, just makes everything <laughs> she's good, really good in her technique. Good te- technique, yeah. <laughs> just makes everything easier. And Rabs, you know, I know you, like myself, have retired your amateur status, your da- amateur dating status, and have gone pro. So, is there anything that you and your wife do that meshes really well that makes her the Robin to your Batman? Uh, yeah, we were actually on our, we're on our second contract right now, so uh, we're very established. Um, well, I, I, it's funny that you say that because I, my question for you is, what makes you think that I'm not the Robin the Hurt Batman? I just figured you probably were, but you know what? I just uh, I was trying to give you I was going to give you a bit of a da- doubt, you know, to give you the Batman role, but you know, I'll tell you, I'll, no, I'll tell you, I think I think she probably is the. Let's imagine I'm Batman and she's Robin. I actually do a lot, like you were talking about running errands and stuff like that. Like I do a lot of the errands. She she does a lot of, of stuff to um, make our lives more beautiful because she's a she's like a designer and, and has a really great eye and is an incredible cook. And um, so, you know, whenever anybody comes over to our place, it's not a big place, but it's very well appointed. And it's something like, you know, like expensively appointed, just really well put together. And everyone's like, Oh my God, your place is so lovely. Blah. That's sort of what, that's sort of what she provides as the, as the Robin to buy Batman. And so I do all the legwork. I, I run all the errands and do all the shopping and, and, you know, I do all the laundry and all, all the sort of grunt stuff that doesn't require. Um, and I, I mean, I have a pretty good eye for like a straight white dude, but I, but I, um, you know, she's, she's the one that really sort of makes our, our, our lives beautiful and, and pasty. So, yeah, I mean, it's actually it's actually a good partner. It's a good partnership. And we, uh, you know, we we get along great. We have since 
honestly, like since our second or third date, we just we just sort of vibed since ever since then and hasn't stopped since. Yeah, so. that's just I mean, you know, you never want to take those things for granted because having that no. great vibe is super important, you know. And, and, you know, speaking of having complimentary pieces to be successful, what do we have on the show today? Oh, man, that was that was a really good transition. Uh, so uh, today we're getting ready to transition to the new league year, which starts on March 16th. Um, so, you know, the week before that, leading up to it, always sees a flurry of activity as teams place transition and franchise tags. We've been watching that happen with the Cowboys and Tony, Tony Pollard, of course, restructured contracts to get under the cap, all that stuff. Um, and that all comes immediately after everyone's been together in Indianapolis for the underwear Olympics, where all the teams are, are, are you know, uh, especially the scouts are going out and getting a steak dinner and, and having too many scotches and, and sharing all the secrets that their general managers told them not to share. And so um, there's a lot of information that's been exchanged. And we've, we've heard a lot of stuff coming out. Um, and one of the guys who's, who's uh, both really good at analyzing players, but also has his ear to the ground is our good friend, John Owning, Dr. Owning. And so... Um, so I think he's a really, really well-positioned dude to come in and talk to us about this particular point in the year, just as we start the offseason. Because he's great with free agency. He knows what's going on with pro personnel. He knows the Cowboys, and he's awesome with the draft. So I'll tell you what, let's get him in here to talk about where the Cowboys are in this critical transition week. All right. Sounds fantastic. Let's get to it. All right, faithful scholars. It's time to gather around and welcome to the seminar the great professor, John Owning. How are you, sir? Doing fantastic. How about you, Ravel? I'm doing great. Uh, you know, as What about you, Dan? What about Dan? You know, I, I'm doing well, too. Thank you, John, for including me. I, uh, as professors, uh, you know, we sometimes have a student of such surpassing brilliance that it's clear even when he's an undergraduate, that he will eventually outstrip us and go on to much greater heights. And that is precisely the case with today's guest. I remember way back in the day when I was doing a podcast with Landon McCool, John was up and coming. He, I, don't, I don't know. I, I know we had you on the, on the podcast, and it might have even been one of your first like podcast experiences. I don't even know. And um, it was just so clear then that like the dude had game, and he, and he had a rare ability to explain what he saw on film. And so... Uh, you know, he was just coming up writing and podcasting. Now he's a nationally acclaimed purveyor of superb football takes. And as I said before, many a time, nobody can break down film and describe why players win and why they don't with such clarity as John. And so there's nobody better positioned to talk us through the Cowboys offseason plan. So Dan and I are going to join our students in taking out our notebooks to bask in your deep footballological knowledge and, uh, and learn from you, my friend. So let's start here. We'd be remiss not to talk to you about the combine. Um, so, just if you could share us with us your overall impressions. What was like your biggest pleasant or unpleasant surprise? Any guys come onto your radar that weren't there before the great annual underwear Olympics began? Man, I was just excited. I love the formatting this year. How it uh, started in midday and how they started with the defensive lineman edge and kind of moved it that way and kind of left the. Uh, quarterbacks and stuff for the last day I think that put it into a much better like smooth process and for me personally you know in the past when they was started at like 9 a.m eastern I'm waking up 6 a.m pacific time getting up for those things and that was just mess up 
mess up my whole day, make it all wonky. So just personally, I thought it was just a much smoother process and made my work so much easier, made it a lot easier to catch all the drills, all the running and everything and react with everybody in real time. So that was fantastic. And some of the guys that really caught my eye, I'm going to go with the hard, hard name first, you know, just get it started. Aratomiwa Adabare, Adabaware from North or Northwestern. Mm-hmm. Just an incredible, incredible f- performance from a 6'2", 282-pound defensive lineman. Now, coming in, a lot of people said he was like, going to be a, a guy who's going to grow into a defensive tackle role, and I hadn't really checked out his film much outside of the Senior Bowl. But then he comes in here, and he tests better than every edge rusher not named Nolan Smith, you know, 37.5-inch vertical, 10.5-inch broad. Four four nine forty one six one ten. These are these are fantastic numbers for somebody who's two hundred forty two pounds, let alone two hundred eighty two pounds. And then you go and dive into his tape after this, and you see a guy that can win on the edge. You know, personally, I grade him as an edge defender. People look at him, and he's not the most bendy guy, and they think that uh prevents him from playing on the edge but i think he's going to be a guy that's going to be like that kind of a anthony spencer-esque power edge where he's going to create soft edges with his power he's going to convert speed to power and he has those inside counter moves that are fantastic and he has little subtle footwork that he uses to create high side wins which is outside the outside uh shoulder of the offensive tackle so the combine was just a fantastic way to get him on my radar really because he impressed at the senior bowl, but when you look at an undersized defensive tackle, the Cowboys already have Odigizuwa. So I was like, eh, he's not really a high priority, but then you test like he did. And I am someone who personally thinks the Cowboys could add an edge defender this year, especially with Demarcus Lawrence getting up there in age. Even me, uh, even me, the biggest D Law lover is I think it's now is the time that we can start planning for life without yeah. D Law is starting this offseason. So I, I think he's a guy that would be perfect in that situation. And other standouts, I mean, Everybody's already talked about him already. You know, Nolan Smith from Georgia, just running a, the heaviest man ever to run a four three forty, just fantastic. Jumping out of the gym, you know, doing well in basically every every uh, situation possible. I've talked to people uh, that know the insiders around the league. They said he uh, interviewed extremely well. Not surprising given all the talk of him coming out of Georgia, how he was the leader of that defense that was so well regarded. Another guy, another guy that not surprising anybody, or maybe surprising people, but since the combine, they've been talking about him a lot. Jackson Smith and Jigba, just the smoothness that he had, the crispness mm-hmm. in the way he ran routes. Those are the ways you curate separation. It was backed up by his agility drills, too. I think he tested above the 90th percentile in the short shuttle and the three cone, which is something you can see all over his tape with just how quickly and precisely he changes directions within his routes. Just a fantastic prospect and someone who, if he fell to 26, I think the Cowboys would have to sprint up to the podium to pick him, especially with their needs at wide receiver. And then another guy who really impressed me, Julius Brents, the big, tall, long cornerback from Kansas State, tested. Yes. He he ran the 40 kind of where I expected, you know, mid four or fives, but everything else just blew my mind, just the way he jumped out of the building. The, adri- the agility drills, especially because – for how tall he is, the ability for him to be able to drop his weight and turn and change direction, and then to carry that over into the uh, on-field work too and still look fluid. You don't see the kind of rigidness that sometimes you would see on tape. So that makes me believe that on tape, the reason why you see slow transitions at times is because he's mentally not seeing it correctly at times, and it's causing him to slow his level of play down a little bit, and that's another issue, but at least you know that he can athletically do it, and with maybe coaching, you can kind of streamline that process for him a little bit more. And then some guys that weren't on my radar at all that I 
didn't even think about looking at. And then they have big time performances are the defensive tackle out of Oklahoma, Jalen Redmond tested mm-hmm. above the 90th percentile in the Raws. Just incredible performance all around for a guy who could be an under tackle. Um, edge defender, Yaya Diaby from Louisville. Another guy that's 260 plus pounds running in, I think, the high four fours, jumping well. Another guy who was at the Senior Bowl who I wasn't super impressed with, but when you have these edge defenders where athleticism is so important, you're more willing to take a chance on an unrefined player that you can mold into mold into a capable player. I think edge defender is one of the positions where that's much easier than, say, a receiver or a cornerback where you could be an elite athlete and just never get to the technical refinement enough to where you can be a capable contributor in the NFL. And then the last one, but not least, someone who I think would be interesting for the Cowboys, especially on some, day three, given his size, speed uh, combination, is Matt Landers from Arkansas. Big, giant receiver who just ran incredibly well. Sorry, I didn't have his numbers really pulled up. 6'4", 200 pounds, you know, running a 1-5-1, 10-yard split is incredible at that speed to go with a 4-3-7-40. Just a super impressive, uh, super impressive performance on tape. He's not a great route runner. He doesn't really understand how to manipulate pace to really take advantage of cornerbacks. But when you give him a runway to run those vertical routes down the field, it's super impressive. You know, is someone who you can take a take a chance on day three and just hope that he develops that vertical receiving ability to first contribute on special teams and then maybe someday become a deep threat. You know, it's interesting. You know, Rabs and I we we talked about this last week a little bit as far as a possible edge rusher as you know, that might be like not one of those blinking lights where it's a major knee because the Cowboys had some surprisingly good depth last year. But if one of those guys just happens to fall the right spot, you know, you could just see the Cowboys going after that. But you know, one of the things that the Cowboys do well, in our opinion, is understanding the landscape of the draft where they can benefit from a, a rich position group and potentially land a guy in later rounds who they had ranked considerably higher. So with that strategy in mind, which position, which positions in this year's draft do you think are the deepest and how do you think they align with the Cowboys' needs? Yeah, um, I'm a little different here because I think a lot of people have the edge defender class as one of the deepest in the class. But after going through the class, I don't think it's really super impressive. I think mm. a lot of the edge rushers that are at the top of the draft, the Lucas Van Nesses of the world, the Keon Whites, are getting artificially pushed up because they're good athletes. But in my opinion, they just don't have the technical refinement to warrant going that high. You know, they have the physical capabilities, but that's something I'm more comfortable taking in the, you know, late second to third, fourth round rather than at the top of the first round or even in the Cowboys situation at number 26. So I just don't see edge being this thing, this position that is top heavy and has depth throughout. I think it's kind of a normal class in that regard. I mean, personally, I only have two guys graded with first round grades in um, Will Anderson and Nolan Smith. And then after that, I think I only have two guys with uh, top 50 grades and Tommy Adebiware and uh, Will McDonald. So, so mm-hmm. I, I butchered that so bad. Sorry, Tommy. But uh, to get to your question, the positions that I think are personally the deepest are cornerback, running back, and tight end. I think those all have good talent at the top, and they're deep throughout the draft to where you can find guys even on day three. You know, cornerback especially. I mean, corner. I have – just to bring you guys a little bit into my process, I have to watch to get an official grade on a cornerback or any position. I have to watch six games mm. and I've watched six games on uh, 12 different cornerbacks right now. And 10 of them have top two round grades. 
Wow. That just shows the type of talent that is in this class. And I think that is the position that where you're saying it's going to stretch and that you could get like, say a round two player and you wake up on day three and like, how is this guy available? I think that's, yep. that is the position where that can happen outside of, you know, running back. Cause that's the position that's been devalued so much that you're always going to find day two talents on day three in any class, no matter how good it is top to bottom, in my opinion. I mean, that's, that's what happened with Jordan Lewis, right? They, they got their corner and then they were like, this is a, this guy's still really high on our board because it was a deep position in that draft. And I think it was, that was at the, uh, the 18 draft, um, seven, 17. Um, yeah, I think 17. And, uh, so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing something happen again, uh, in a similar way. Um, before we, before we move on and talk more about the draft, though, I do want to, to shift gears a little bit because here we are, as of this recording, about a week or so away from the start of the league year and therefore the start of free agency. And um, you actually just wrote an article over at PFF in which you talked about the Cowboys impending free agents. So before we get to who they might bring in, let's talk about who what they're going to do with the guys they currently have, uh, at least for another week. Um, and you put them into sort of two categories, right? You put them in, the, in the either pass or pay. So we've debated this list ourselves. We've been going back and forth last couple of podcasts about, about guys. Dan, Danny's been sharing his offseason plans, and I've been uh, editing them in, in, in you know, preparation for his conference paper that he's going to give. And um, so we want to use your expertise to settle up our differences. So first of all, my partner in crime here thinks that Donovan Wilson has priced himself out of Dallas and, uh, and that they wouldn't pay more than $5, $5 million a year for him. So um, – uh, to the great pleasure of everyone from Cowboys Nation who loves themselves some Donovan Wilson, please tell them why he's wrong. Well, I think, first of all, he's someone who's not going to be much more expensive than $5 million per year. I mean, the PFF cap expert Brad Spielberger thinks he's going to get six and a half to $7 million. Yeah, And I honestly don't think that's a huge price to pay for someone who sets the tone for your entire defense. I think he is the physical tone setter despite being 204 pounds. I mean, what other sub 210 pound defender in the NFL do you see take on offensive lineman blocks in the in in the box consistently? Stick his nose in in the run game, you know. Be an enforcer in the middle of the field uh, against intermediate uh, passing concepts. These are all things that I think are, you know, in the they're not as valued maybe as they once were, but for the Cowboys defense in particular, how much they use dime and nickel personnel, having that safety that can rotate down into the box and still be a plus run defender while providing some coverage value and short to intermediate zone coverage. I think that is a huge value. And I think that's something that if he had shown this level of play for, you know, two, three, four years, I think he would be getting much, much more money. You know, he'd be getting money consistent with some of the top, safeties on the market based on how we played last year and I think just like they got J. Ron Kirst back last year for what I think is a bargain given what he provided I think you can still get Wilson as a bargain given that he only has that one year of really top end level production and I think that's not something given the Cowboys cap situation that you can really pass up on because you're not going to find I, unless you draft a safety high you're not going to find a safety for that price tag who's going to give the same type of value that he does in my opinion. Yeah. I, Thank you. It was interesting to see that, you know, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned here that you know he's made some improvements in coverage. And that was kind of one of my concerns a little bit, too, because I did. I felt like he he was, you know, he just he was really good at the line of scrimmage. But then he, things start to be a little bit dicey um, the more that you ask him, to, you know, to play, you know, in pass defense. And of course, J-Ron, you know, he he does both well, in my opinion. I, so I, I think he's kind of more of a complete guy. Where Dono is a little bit more one-dimensional in in my book, but 
I like your. And I think that's kind of the genius of the way Dan Quinn used the defenses is he can kind of use these guys as strength to each other. If he needs a box safety that he needs coverage, uh, then he needs to do coverage responsibilities. Then he'll move J. Ron Kirsten the box and he'll move Wilson back and he can play that deep split safety role, which is a lot more akin to his skill set. He can play a deep half kind of situation mm-hmm. pretty well. You know, he's not going to be honey badger anytime soon but he could be competent in that situation but then if you need someone who can fill in the run and box be a physical cover guy and you know just do zone type drops then he can play in the box and you can put uh j ron curse deep so i think that's kind of the genius of the way dan quinn deploys the personnel on this defense that you have these three different safeties between him curse and hooker and they all have different skill sets that could be used in different ways yeah yeah you know speaking of being physical against the run uh, my buddy Rabs over here, you know, he doesn't value Jonathan Hankins like we do, John. So, so can you put him in his place and remind him why Hankins need, needs to be resigned by the Cowboys? Well, I think the first most important thing about bringing back Hankins is that sets the floor of what your nose tackles can be, given that even if you make no other uh, acquisitions, which would just hurt my heart personally. But when you have a nose tackle who you can – who you can believe and trust they can occupy a center they can two gap that that center when you're playing those five-man fronts those odd man fronts that dan quinn really loves to use especially in passing situations then that makes life on your inside linebackers so much easier because they're not responsible for those a gaps they can slow play play action and they won't get drawn up as quickly you know that is the benefit of having these big gap plugging nose tackles and defensive tackles that can eat up blocks is it makes life so much easier on the on the linebackers not only are they not getting blocks immediately in their face when the team are running it but against play action they don't have to charge forward because they have to immediately fill their gap they can slow play a little bit and then that allows them to better react to the run action and get to their pass responsibilities quicker and i think if you don't have Hankins, you're setting the floor at Quinton Bohana. And as we've seen, Bohana just doesn't cut it from a nose tackle. He gets moved too easily. He doesn't um, He doesn't bring any pass rush ability. Not that Hankins brings much pass rush ability at all. But he just doesn't – I don't think he does anything even above average. Whereas Hankins, at least he's someone who can occupy space. He can two-gap. He can occupy double teams. He can do these really basic responsibilities well, even though it's not at an exceedingly high end. And I would still like to upgrade that position especially in the draft, but I think you've got to set the floor with somebody like Hankins rather than being okay with somebody like Bohana, personally. And like I like with Wilson, he's not going to break the bank. He's not somebody that's going to be cost prohibitive for you to get someone else. You know, he's not going to prevent you from getting an OBJ and free agency or trading for a big name player if that's what they want to do. Uh, yeah, I know Danny's very eager to try to throw me under the bus here. But just to be clear, I'm not saying that they that they don't need a Jonathan Hankins. I just don't know that they need the Jonathan Hankins. I think they need that player because I, I think you're right. that Bohanas has not shown that he could be stout enough against double teams. They need they need that sort of big, wide-body veteran. I just don't know that it has to be Jonathan Hankins in particular. That's, I guess that's my main point. But uh, one last thing before we move on. Um, you know, two could play at this game, Mr. Mr. Phantom. Uh, he wants uh, to rent Anthony Brown's services for one more year, despite coming off a gruesome Achilles injury. Can you explain to him why that's not a good idea? Um, if Anthony Brown was this guy that had fantastic ball skills and that you can rely on that trait 
to make up for the fact that he's not going to be as good athletically uh, moving forward, then yeah, you know, I would take that chance given what he's done for the team, the veteran presence, all of that type of things, but he just doesn't have the ball skills. So when you take away the athleticism, it's just a guy that's going to be giving up a bunch of separation and not finding the ball. So I really don't see how he has a path to being a competent cornerback, given what we know, how long it takes to recover from a torn Achilles. I mean, this isn't a torn ACL where we see guys recover the next year and return to some semblance of their uh, previous form. I mean, Achilles, I can't remember, especially a cornerback coming off a torn Achilles who looked anything similar to his previous self in year one. And given that he's over 30 or about to be over 30, at least um, he's not someone that I want to invest in, even if it's a low amount of player, he's just going to be a progress stopper. In my opinion, give those snaps to Deron Bland, give those snaps to Nashawn Wright. And I'm much happier with it, even though as everybody else, I would also like to get some more talent at cornerback period. I was going to say, give those snaps to their second-round corner with a first-round grade. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) All right. All right. You convinced me. That makes perfect sense. I I guess uh, I'll just join everybody else in, you know, wishing Anthony Brown, you know, know, on farewell. But, you know, that's fantastic stuff, John. That that is why your Cowboys Doctor of Philosophy plaque is is hanging on the wall. So um, since you are no stranger... To giving it to us straight, I want you to address this big move propaganda that has circulated through the walls of Cowboys Nation. So I'm going to be up front with you. I think it's a hoax. Uh, but fans want so desperately to hitch their trailer to this notion. So so before we move on to our offseason plan, please tell us, do you think the Cowboys will break from their recent history of ho-hum offseason moves and make a big splash in the free agency? And if so... Who do you think it might be? Just how wet will the people in the first row get? Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school That might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. I I don't know what inevitably they're going to end up doing, but... I have heard from some people with that I trust personally that have said that the Cowboys are certainly poking around and doing their due diligence of making a big name acquisition for a pass catcher, mainly the one from Arizona and surprisingly the one from Atlanta, mm-hmm. Kyle Pitts and DeAndre Hopkins. So mm-hmm. I've heard the rum like, like you when I first heard I thought it was a hoax I didn't believe it I was throwing jokes on Twitter about it you know I'm monitoring the monitoring of the monitoring of the of the trade market for DeAndre Hopkins 
But then some people reached out to me. They said, hey, man, just to let you know, there is some smoke to this fire. We don't know, obviously, what's going to happen in the in the long run, because a lot of that matters about how much Arizona is willing to eat contract wise. The Falcons, whether you know how much is Arthur Smith willing to get rid of a tight end that he had no no part of drafting in the first place. Mm-hmm. So these are things that need to be worked out. In the, but the Cowboys are poking around and they are doing their due diligence on these big name moves. Do I think it will actually happen? You know, history says no, but I think Hopkins, especially given the, what just came out about how he's going to be flexible about the last two years of his contract, the fact that the Cardinals only want a second round pick for him. So I don't have to give up my first round or I could still get, you know, and top of the, top of the board, you know, cornerback or mm-hmm. defensive tackle, whoever I want in the first round or use that to trade back to get more picks in in this type of draft, accumulate more resources that way while getting a top 10 to 15 receiver in the league to complement CD Lamb. I think it's a fantastic move and I think they agree and they're going to, like I, I, I keep saying it over and over, but do their due diligence because that's all I can, that's all I've been told that they're going to do. But that's something. There's some smoke to the fire like we've been told so many times over and over again, that doesn't mean that it's going to end up being something. Right. So uh, you said it, they'll probably, it'll probably take a, a second for Hopkins. What's it going to take for Pitts? From what I was told, the Cowboys are only interested in giving up a second round pick for to. So they're not giving somebody. up their one, no matter yeah, what. Yeah, exactly. That's how, things, that's how I was told that things stand right now is they're not willing to give that first round pick for all the reasons that I said, they still want to be able to get, a starting level contributor who can make a year one impact okay. on their team. And they're only willing to, you know, give up that second round type of pick because they believe that if they wanted to, they could trade back to recoup those resources if they need be, or take the player that just knocks their soft socks off at 26. So if I'm hearing you right, the people in the front row should bring a poncho just in case. Exactly. Yes. Be ready. <laughs> All be right. Ready. Um, so let's, let's keep that in mind when we, when we move on here to talk about the off season plan. So, um, you know, Dan and I are really excited to have you on because we want to pick your brain about what the Cowboys will or what they should. And those, some, those are sometimes very different things to do this <laughs> offseason. Uh, Stephen, it looks like it could have a, a decent number of roster holes to fill. And so we'd love your help in figuring out what they, should, again, should or uh, will do. So we've got a kind of multi-step process in mind. We want to kind of model this for everybody. So we want to start with this question. Let's just identify the positions where the Cowboys simply have to get better in 2023. Well, I think number one is what we saw is from last year is they need to get better receivers. They need to get someone who can complement CD lamb. You know, it's a big, huge red flag, especially with Michael Gallup's inability to really return to form after his torn ACL. And that really put the Cowboys behind the eight ball at the receiver position to the point where you you're hoping maybe he does it in year two, but you can't trust it. So you need to find, better talent to, uh, to complement C.D. Lamb and put Gallup back in that wide receiver three role that he thrived in with Amari, when Amari Cooper was in the fold. So I think that would uh, artificially raise the level of play of the entire offense as a whole, uh, getting better receiver. Another position I think we just touched on, cornerback, especially with Anthony Brown not returning. I think being able to get someone who can play outside to team up with Trevon Diggs. You've got Deron Bland and Jordan Lewis, guys who I think both fit better in the slot, even though I think Bland – could be okay on the outside like if you had to but from a depth perspective I really need to want to upgrade that op- that other starting cornerback gig on the opposite side of Trevon Diggs and then another one that I think is 
surprising, not surprising. If they don't bring back Leighton Van Der Esch, they got to get better at linebacker. I don't think we saw anything from Jabril Cox, Jabril Cox and uh, Damone Clark that proved that they could be trusted to play starting caliber snaps moving forward. I mean, when Leighton Van Der Esch was out, that was a huge hole in the Cowboys defense routinely, not just against the run, but also against the pass and hitting their landmarks consistently, seeing the right things, melding with these intermediate routes better. Van Der Esch did not get the the uh the level of, level of acclaim that he deserved for his work mm-hmm. in coverage last year i think most people focus on his improvement as a run defender taking on blocks seeing things correctly all those type of things but he did really good things in coverage last year in terms of linebacker play and then of course the one that you we could just quote every year you, you know if you when you guys have me back next year i'll probably be saying the same thing nose tackle <laughs> we gotta improve nose tackle eventually guys something of something above a fifth round pick would be nice Mm-hmm. calling for it for what feels like seventeen thousand years maybe maybe next year probably not but i'll be here to advocate for it regardless before before dan moves on can i ask you one question uh did you think clark was better when van Der Esch was playing next to him yes okay so it's yes. not that clark didn't show anything it's just that he would he he showed that he wasn't ready to do it without van Der Esch there yeah to kind of that's a much better way of saying set it. Up. much better way of putting it yes okay no, no, that's that's fair because also i think you know, when he's playing kind of more of that will position, it's more availability to play to his strengths, to run and hit. He's a fast guy. I mean, yeah. he's didn't they say he's the only defender who clocked in a faster GPS time than Michael Par- Micah Parsons last mm-hmm, year? Mm-hmm. That shows you the kind of speed that he's working with. And you're and if he's constantly being impeded by blocks, and as we know, the Cowboys, and especially because Hankins was hurt towards that second half of the year last year, he was constantly being impeded by blocks. He had the quick fire against run, so he wasn't, ready to react better against play action. And it just made things a com- honestly a complete mess for the second level of the Cowboys defense while Van Der Resch was out because Jabril Cox, I mean, I was a big fan of his coming out, but he hasn't shown anything from the defensive side of the ball that he can be counted on for anything. You know, I really like his coverage ability in college. I really like that, but Loved maybe it, the yeah. torn ACL that he, re- that he sustained his rookie year has really hampered that ability. So I- I'm not sure what to think of him moving forward. But yeah, you gotta definitely gotta improve that linebacker position. You know, you know, you're going over the positions. You know, I wanted to, I want to ask you about a couple of them in particular. So, you you, you identified which ones are are most important. But when you look at po- positions like wide receiver and cornerback, who you we all hoping to, you know the Cowboys can make changes there. What traits do you think the Cowboys will be looking for in bringing in certain guys? You know, you mentioned corner, you want someone on the outside, so. So what do you what do what kind of traits are you looking for there and and, and wide receiver too like we got CD Lamb so you know what kind of receiver you know want to, you want to fit in, in the Cowboys offense so I mean what, what specifically what traits would you think the Cowboys should be prioritizing here now this is going to go kind of against what I was saying about Hopkins because I think their ideal type of receiver that they like to insert into the offense isn't like what the kind of receiver that DeAndre Hopkins is. I just think that he's such a good receiver that you're going to insert him into your offense and be fine with it and make it work. I think ideally the Cowboys would like a receiver that can bring a vertical element to stretch the defenses, to open up the intermediate portions of coverage for CD lamb. Cause that's where he makes his, Hey, the, you know, those deep crossing routes, those dig routes, those type of things where he is just so spectacular and where he really thrives and I think adding a speedier element that can really stretch the field, that can cause those deep safeties to really have to play 20, 30 yards deep, you know, that will really open up things for the intermediate passing game. So I think 
obviously the Cowboys always like with their receivers to be a little bit bigger, six foot plus, you know, two ten ish plus, and bring that speed element. But as we've seen with their uh, formal meetings at the combine, maybe they are beginning to be more willing to bring in these smaller, speedier receivers. I mean, they met with Marvin Mims, they met with mm-hmm. Zay Flowers. They met with, I believe, Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee, all these speed merchant guys who might not be very big, but they can stretch the field, and I think that tells you a lot. And that cornerback, I think it's the same thing that they've always uh, that they've always valued in outside cornerbacks. I think they've begun to kind of fudge the numbers on their slot cornerbacks a little bit. They're more willing to take smaller, more diminutive, quick receipt, quick cornerbacks than they were maybe under Chris Richard in them at slot. But I think on the outside cornerbacks, it's remained me- relatively the same. They're going to want – a taller cornerback, a longer cornerback, 32-plus-inch arms, ideally above six foot, above 200 pounds, guys that can really play that deep third. They could play that silo coverage that Quinn likes to lean on so much where you either you're playing man uh, vertically or you're letting him go underneath, those type of things. So I think the cornerback uh, prototype has really stayed the same. I think the receiver one is the one that's kind of changing a little bit in front of our eyes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's cool. So, so we've got our, we've got our positions that we sort of identified here. Right. And we, and uh, it sounds like you ranked them and, and you've offered some, um, some traits. So I guess before we think about, you know, who they might identify, I, I'd love for you to hear, or I'd love to hear you think about your plan in terms of how are they going to bring this talent onto the roster? Do you think um, that they're more likely to address these. Let's just kind of go down the list, wide receiver corner. And then we'll also talk about linebacker and, and nose tackle. Do you think they're more likely to address those positions in free agency in the draft, or maybe even do a double dip in both? Um, I think receiver is the most likely one to be double dipped, honestly, between free agency and the draft. I think you're going to see them try to bring in a veteran name. Obviously Odell Beckham Jr. is the most popular name. He's a guy that um, I think would be fantastic, especially given what he showed when he was with the Rams during their Super Bowl run. I think that's ideally the type of receiver that you want, someone that is fast and now the breaks stretches the field, really good route runner, good ball skills. He's a slant king, man. Exactly. Perfect for McCarthy. Yeah, exactly. The slant dragon. Dragon concepts all day, baby. Coming coming (laughs) to a Cowboys field near you. But yeah, I think uh, you definitely could see them receiver. And if they get a even if they get a big name receiver like Hopkins, Beckham, I still think you'll see them double dip at that position at receiver in the draft and maybe grab, you know, a guy that I've heard they like, Michael Wilson from Stanford in day three who has a lot of injury problems. Maybe a Jaden Reed from Michigan State. These guys who are kind of well-rounded, they fit their typical size thresholds. They're fast enough, and they're really, really good route runners. I think those are the types of guys that would be really good fits for uh, – the Cowboys, both wide receiver and the draft. We already talked about Jackson Smith and Jig, but if he's somehow available at number 26, turn that card in. I don't care if you got Odell Beckham or DeAndre Hopkins. Add that guy to my team. Um, cornerback, I think cornerback is the one that's definitely through the draft, 100% through the draft. I don't really see many cornerbacks on the free agent market that I'm too enthused out. And like I said before, I'm – say the Cowboys got totally wiped out and didn't bring a cornerback, I think Diggs – Jordan Lewis and Deron Bland is a passable trio that you can get by with. It's not ideal by any means. You don't want it. But I think going into the draft with those three, you could be comfortable. And then you'll get, obviously, with a high priority, get one in round one, two, or three that can hopefully uh, contribute right away. 
Um, linebacker, I could see linebacker could be either. I don't think they double dip at linebacker, but I could see either one. You know, there's linebackers in free agency who I really like. Lighten Vanderesh, obviously, I would love to bring back. But also a guy named TJ Edwards from mm-hmm. Philadelphia. Really good contributor there. I think he could play the mic position really well. He has good coverage and run defensive versatility. I think he's someone who you can insert and who's not going to really break the bank. I just don't know if he would choose the Cowboys over the Eagles because I think the Eagles are kind of in the same position as the Cowboys, not wanting to spend too much money at the position. But he's another name that I would like there. And then there's linebackers. I think there's a few that I really like in this class. You know, Iowa's Jack Campbell is a fantastic name. Tested. He's someone who we could have mentioned who tested extremely well. I mean, he's ran a sub-seven-second three-cone, which is insane for a linebacker his size. He's someone who thrives. Probably... Jabril Cox was special because of his ability to play man coverage against tight ends. But if we're talking short to intermediate zone coverage, I haven't seen a linebacker as refined as Jack Campbell in that area. Then you got guys like Dayon Henley from Washington State, who's another really good cornerback or not cornerback linebacker uh, who thrives in coverage. Really a lot of good names at linebacker. My uh, personal favorite, who I love, the small guy, the, the pocket dynamo, Ivan Pace Jr., from uh, Cincinnati and Wake Forest. I think he's Mm -hmm. fantastic. And given that I heard that the Cowboys were very interested in another diminutive linebacker last year, Malcolm Rodriguez from Oklahoma State, that gives me thought that when day three rolls around, maybe they would be interested in the Ivan Pace Jr., a guy who fits the run extremely well, whipped fast with Fury. He's an exceedingly great blitzer. I think he had 66 total pressures as an off-ball linebacker. That's, I think, the best PFF has seen, including Micah Parsons, who was an incredible blitzing linebacker, as we saw at Penn State. Mm-hmm. You know, just a really impressive player. And then nose tackle, I definitely think, who knows with the Cowboys. We'll probably get both. We'll probably get like a veteran. They'll probably re-sign Hankins and then grab someone who I hate in round six of nose tackle. <laughs> but, I mean, personally, I love Michigan's Mozzie Smith, that 330-pounder for Michigan. I think he would be – kind of like the Jordan Davis of this draft class, because I think he's going to test out of this world. It's going to make you think, well, he hasn't really shown much as a pass rusher yet, but given his athletic abilities, we can groom him up in that area. And we already know that he can play the run. He can take on double teams. He played in a gap in a kind of reactive front with uh, Michigan. They played odd fronts. They played that where he's going to be no, he's going to be head up against the nose. He's going to be react uh, mirroring the blockers movement extension take one way, shed the other, occupying double teams. I think he would just be the perfect kind of nose tackle to insert into the Cowboys defense, and he's not going to really produce at a high level, so fans may not love it, but then you're going to see the defense as a whole just be more productive and more effective, and everybody's going to wonder, how did that happen? Why where, Why is Leighton Vanderesh playing the best ball of his career? Why does Damone Clark look much better? You know, all these type of things, and I think that's the – kind of impact that a guy like Mozzie Smith could have, if not in in year one, definitely years two plus, two to five. So let me actually ask, can I ask a follow-up? You know, almost every year we're able to identify the positions the Cowboys want to draft in the first two days. Like we know what three positions they want to come. Let's assume they have one pick in each round. We, we knew last year what three positions they want. We knew the year before what three positions they wanted. And the question really just remains what order, right? So I'd love, I'd love for you to sort of give me two scenarios here. One is they don't trade for the splashy guy and they have all three of their picks. 
what what positions are they going? What would you be your preferred order? And then the second choice is they do spend a second on one of those two splashy options, which we know would be a an offensive weapon, right? What are they doing in rounds one and three? What's your ideal rounds one and three then, given the strength of this, of this draft class? I think if they don't make a trade, they're going to go wide receiver, cornerback, and then surprise like surprisingly running back I think I think they really want to get another running back in especially that they franchise tag Pollard I don't think they want to extend him to a long-term deal I think they're going to get either Zeke on a huge pay cut or they're going to release him so I think you'll see them draft a running back higher than maybe we would want especially given how deep this class is I would preferably like to wait till day three but I think that's something that they're going to do and as we already said with wide receiver and cornerback those are big need positions where there's talent in this draft that they can go. I think personally, the best order would be given just the depth of the class as a whole wide receiver in the first round, cornerback, second round, running back, third round. And then if they do grab a receiver with that second round pick, like a DeAndre Hopkins, I think then you'll see them grab a cornerback in the first round and then running back in that third round. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be crazy that John touched on this too. Could you imagine? If the Cowboys did get Hopkins, gave their second for it, and then twenty picks twenty six comes around, and they and they took JSN. I mean, we would just need to go out and get our Team Fifty Burger T shirts, you know, yeah. and it would just be like, okay, Dak, it's all here for you, you know, get it done now. Could could you ever just imagine? Everybody would just their their hopes would be so high for the season if we had that arrangement of weapons. Uh, I mean, the Cowboys would immediately have arguably the best trio of receivers in the league up there with Cincinnati. I mean, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, or C.D. Lamb, DeAndre Hopkins, and Jackson Smith and Jigba. I mean, which one would you take? I would say Jamar Chase is better than C.D. Lamb in that situation, but I also think Hopkins is better than Higgins, and I think Smith and Jigba is better than Boyd. So, I mean, that would immediately bolster your passing attack to a top three, top five in the league, and then I think the big thing it gives, I think Dak would thrive on it, but it gives him no excuses now. You have all the passing weapons that you can want. The offensive line is competent enough. Get, we don't know what injuries could do that could totally throw a wrench in things. And then you have the adequate resources in the running game with Tony Pollard and whoever else they got in the third round or free agency, what have you. I think it would give the Cowboys immediately one of the best offenses in the league. And honestly, for like Mike McCarthy's sake, it could save his job. So you just said the offensive line is good enough. And that's actually one of the things we've been talking about recently. Uh, when, when, when Dan submitted his conference paper on the offense for, for, for my delectation, one of the things we talked about was that, um, you know, the offensive line, we don't necessarily think that they need more talent or that the Cowboys can afford to invest a, like a, you know, high, high first, second round type pick in adding talent, but that they, they definitely need to be coached better. But I think they need, they, need to be, they need to be better as a unit if any of this is going to work. Because I, I, I don't care what kind of receivers you have. I just don't believe last year that the way that that offensive line uh, was failing to run block, I, think that, I, think, I don't think that they could sustain blocks long enough in, in, in pass blocking to give Dak the time for guys to get, to get open deep. I, I feel like in many respects, the yes, there were significant problems with wide receivers, but I also feel like the offensive line, its inability to protect for, for, for very long meant that those intermediate and long passes weren't developing. So I guess my question is, we haven't talked about offensive line. Are, are you okay with who they have now? Um, more than most, I am okay with who they have most, especially if they bring back Jason Peters. I think 
that ideal in my in my uh, ideal world, you have Tyron Smith back at left tackle where he's at his best. You have Tyler Smith at left guard, Biotis at center, Zach Martin at right guard, Terrence at right tackle, and that's that's a very good offensive line. I mean, look around the NFL; you won't see that many talent laden offensive lines. The the problem becomes is when injured. Last year, I think a big problem was the fact that Joe Philbin just couldn't help himself but continually, you know, messing with the rotation, you know, rotating Tyler Smith at guard for some reason, rotating Jason Peters in and out. It's impossible for an offensive line to create continuity in that type of environment, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're constantly rotating these players, constantly rotating Connor McGovern, you know, it's really hard for an offensive line to – especially nowadays with the lack of practice time that they have, they, those game reps are so very important that you can't lose 30% every game because you're just rotating guys because you, because you feel like it, because you feel like it situationally gives you a better situation. It really made no sense to me in everything that I've been taught with offensive line play and how important continuity is. And then, you know, with those five, if injuries happen, I'd, I don't think the depth is fantastic, but I think Jason Peters is a is a good as swing tackle as you're going to find in the NFL these years. And then I think Matt Farniok is good enough as a swing interior offensive line. And even Connor McGovern say you want to bring him back, he's not getting the free agency bites that he wants. You can. Br- I think Connor McGovern is an ideal swing backup interior offensive lineman. The problem is, is when you're counting on him to play at left guard, and I don't even think left guard's his best position. As we've seen in the past, he plays right guard better. He's a much better right guard. So yeah. I just think that between Farniok and if you bring back McGovern, that's a good enough interior def- uh, backups. You got um, Jason Peters that can plug in. You also got Tyler Smith. If there's multiple tackle uh, injuries as there was last year, you can uh, sw- slide him back out to tackle. I think the Cowboys, I think the uh, issues there are more overbone than need be, but Obviously, it's just the big injuries thing. You know, I'm yeah. not a doctor. I'm notoriously don't I notoriously don't consider injury history and stuff into my evaluation just because I don't know how to value, you know, a, a tackle that has ankle issues versus a tackle that has a shoulder issue. You know, how do you weight these things differently? And if I can't weight things properly, I just tend to set them aside because I don't want to create this massive differences in my rankings based on things that I have zero expertise about. And you know you don't have the orthopedist report in front of you, so okay. I mean, it's all it's exactly. all speculation, you know. And then well, you listen. hear so many differing reports from depending who you talk to. You talk to people from the team side about an injury; they're going to give you a totally different picture than if you talk to somebody from the uh, from the player's point of view. This was a one of my biggest issues with the Lyle Collins situation. I heard two completely different stories from the player side of the view and then the team side of the view. And it's just really hard to like, who do you trust more? You know, cause there's situations where the team is the ones lying. They're incentivized to lie. The players incentivize the lie. And you just, I just throw it out. Don't even right. think about it. Just like, mm-hmm. all right, the doctors will figure it out. If the Cowboys doctors don't think he'll play, he'll be gone. And then I'll just move on to the next, you know? And I do the same thing in the draft. I do the exact same thing. If a player has injury history, I'm not, I don't have, the medical capabilities to be able to properly weigh that in comparison to the other players. And we don't even get all the, that all the info, you know? So there's tons of players who are dealing with a bunch of like ankle injuries that we don't even hear about rib injuries, right, shoulder right. injuries, neck injuries that we never hear about. And the fact to, 
to be able to wait, I don't know, well, I'm getting in a rant about people's rankings about how they take in medical information. It just grinds my gears, but. And every year there's, there's a guy or two who falls and they, and like, you know, you listen to guys and they're like, I don't know why he's falling. I don't know why he's falling. And then it always comes out. There's a medical issue. The teams knew about it. We didn't know about it. So we didn't have the information. So I think, I think exactly. your, your choice is wise. Uh, speaking of wise choices, I think it was a very wise choice to, uh, for us to have you on. Uh, I know my notebook is full and I, my pen is out of ink. Dan, I'm assuming that you're in the same situation. Dr. Oning, thank you so much for coming on, gracing us with your, your presence and your knowledge. Before you head out, please tell the people where they can find your most excellent work. Yeah, guys, uh, I'm actually writing again for uh, PFF.com. Um, I just did that, like uh, Rabble and uh, Dan said, I did the pass or, play, pass or pay on the Cowboys impending free agents. I got a Depending on when this comes out, it could be just publishing, but I got a piece on three dynamic ad- additions the Cowboys can potentially make for their offense that we already touched on today with, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, Kyle Pitts, Odell Beckham, Jackson Smith, and Jigwa. I touch on all those players in that piece. So, you know, just keep an eye out there. Follow me on Twitter at John Owning, J-O-H-N-O-W-N-I-N-G. I'll post all my articles there. I'm really excited to get back in writing, you know, get back in with my content friends. So it's exciting, you know, we're having fun. We're all excited. Thanks a lot, dude. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks, John. Well, you know, I don't need to tell you, every time we have John on, I learn a lot. He's just, you know, I can't say it enough. He, he, for my money, is is one of like two or three guys who are the very best at taking what they see on film and translating it into layman's terms so that when we, when we rewatch the film, we're like, Oh yeah, I see that. That makes sense. Um, and so it's just, it's just always great to have him on. Yeah. I tell you what, too. I, I'm so glad we're recording this too, because I, I was, you know, I'm literally keeping notes and I, you know, it's just tough. There's so much information with John and it's just, it's so valuable. You can't really like, you can't cheat yourself with the notes. So it's definitely, you know, this recording is it's got a lot, got a lot of good stuff here. So I'm so glad. It's always a treat whenever John joins us. So, you know, and I'm, and I'm excited too that if you, you know we'll we'll see him again come you know post draft. So that that's going to be great. Um, so I'm happy. Speaking about of great, this was a great episode. I was happy to share it with you, my friend. Yeah, me too. But that is it for our show today. If you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the Blogging Boys Podcast Network. Leave us a rating, write a review wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, iTunes, or Stitcher. Tell us what you think, anything you'd like us to do differently to improve your podcast listening experience. And if you ever want to talk to us about anything at all, any Cowboys hot topics, favorite prospects, or you know what? Uh, who is the Robin to your Batman? You know, just hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Danny Phantom24. Rabs is at Rabble Rouser, spelled R-A-B-B-L-E-R-O-U-S-R. And don't forget to check out all the great podcasts throughout the entire week. Every day we got something new for you. Tomorrow we'll have the World's Team with Meg Murray and Paul Stewart, so make sure to check that out. But that's all we have for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe, stay happy, stay true to the silver blue, and we will catch you later. Have a great tampering period, everyone. <laughs>